G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cotton Yarns. Uh, today I've got another conversation with a special guest I interviewed uh, a couple of months ago now, um, Ian Moss from Farm Agronomy and Resource Management. Uh, Ian and I sat down and had a bit of a chat about some of the sustainable practices he's helping some farmers, uh, particularly one family here in Gundawindi, um, introducing to their cotton production systems um, a bit about you know what they're trying to achieve and how they're getting to that to that uh, goal using sustainable ag practices. Ian's been doing this for a while now, helping you know different growers in different areas of agriculture, you know, in cropping and livestock, and 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 now into cotton. So this was a really interesting chat I had with Ian. But let's get into it. Welcome to the Cotton Yarns podcast, Ian. Today we're going to have a chat about uh, regenerative agriculture and I guess its place in the future of the Australian cotton industry. I know you've been doing a little bit of work with a couple of cotton growers, mate, and and helping them adapt some sustainable practices and sustainability is definitely going to become more important in the industry. It's It was the theme of the cotton conference of the past year and, you know, a lot of people are out there on their farms on their farms trying to do little things to sort of adapt some sustainable practices but mate before we continue talking do you just want to introduce yourself mate and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your business for sure thanks angus and um it's a good thing you're doing you know helping people make sense of all the information that's out there and trying to find those things that actually make a difference Yes, so farm agronomy and resource management's our business. We've been kicking along for 13 years now, I think. And yeah, we there's four of us in the office now and we're advertising for more agronomists. And uh, yeah, we, you know, making sustainable farming profitable is, is our, that's what we get out of bed for. And we work with farmers, Northern New South Wales, Southern Queensland, um, some irrigation, probably mostly dry land or, or broadacre, mostly cropping, but a little bit of grazing and forage work as well. And I guess we've tra- we've stayed away from the traditional agronomy, if you like, sort of the, the weed and pest and disease control. We've sort of left that to the other agronomists and really focused on, initially we focused on the fertility and a lot of soil tests and plant testing and, and a lot of the services were around fertility but i guess they've evolved over the years to uh be more about the farm management and you know the things that we can do to 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 literally make it more sustainable i I mean i haven't met a farmer yet who hasn't wanted to leave their farm in better condition they got it and and make a few more dollars along the way i think sometimes the labels are dangerous i think it it evokes a bit of emotion in people I, i struggle a little bit you know calling myself, you know, regenerative this or whatever. I think, yeah, just the, the, the labels are sometimes best left for social media to argue over. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, mate. There's, yeah, you, especially in a, lot of other, in, in a lot of the other industries, there's been a lot of negative connotation, I guess, around the, the practice of regenerative agriculture. There's a, a perception out there that it's basically a complete walk away from the way we do farming now, and it's not really, is it? It's just adopting a no. few practices to bring into your farm, you know, that, that can help it make it a little bit more sustainable. And, you know, I guess every situation for, for every grower is going to be different. There's got not going to be one set of, of guidelines for regenerative agriculture that every grower can follow. But I know you're doing some work with some growers 
around Gundawindi here we're on base, mate. From their point of view, what what did they want to achieve and, and what are you helping them do? Uh, yes, so we've been working with some, uh, been working with the guys at uh, Coralie Newells around Wagga Villa there probably for a year now. And they sort of came to us, you know, looking for a bit of help to, to try and maybe tweak or change a few, you know, management practices or inputs even to, to try and, well, profitability um, is number one, but also the sustainability, you know, a bit of concern about, you know, whether the, whether the soils were actually improving or going backwards. That's how we, I guess we started working with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like a lot of the, the resources we're putting into a crop and crop, I know the past crop was, was one of the most expensive crops ever grown. And, and this crop we're, we're planting into the 22, 23 season is looking the same with, with fertilizer and insecticide and other chemical prices being so high. We're just lucky we've got so much water this year and, and the water prices aren't through the roof. So, yeah, like you said, I know mules are, are looking at some other ways to implement nitrogen into their soils and I- improve their soil structure through some cover cropping and, and some things like that. Yeah, and like I said earlier, it's it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea to do the exact same thing. What do you see the main, I guess, concerns around implementing some regenerative agricultural practices? Why are, why are growers... You know, you you mentioned some most want to improve their farm sustainability, but I guess when you say regenerative agriculture, why do you think some growers sort of balk at that? Um, I think it's people balk at the label when they they feel threatened or they feel like you know we're basically implying that the way they're farming is not the best way to do it, and they should be doing it some other way. I don't really look at it that way. I think for me, it's about the outcomes. If you if we're truly seeking uh, an economic and an ecological outcome, then how we get there doesn't really matter. If, if those outcomes are genuinely good things and we all agree that we all want our soils to be more productive and to, be, um, and to make a few more dollars along the way, then we're all on the same path. And one of the things that we do see sometimes is there's this almost this um, inability to make decisions sometimes when you start down what we're calling regenerative you know you think it's about certain practices that you should or shouldn't do and that can lead you to a a bit of a dangerous situation of indecision so you might be faced with you know disease or insects or something and and all of a sudden you're not doing things because you think you shouldn't be but uh we we have this saying with the guys we work with that all the tools are in the toolbox Um, we just understand what impact they have on the things we're trying to achieve. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, uh, one step back to take two steps forward. Sometimes we've got to zero out weeds or whatever we've got to do. That's what we do. But we're, we're very fairly and squarely focused on the on the things that we're trying to achieve. We, we talk about the big levers, you know, the things that really matter and make a difference. And and the, I guess one of the main ones is the, and the main costs in cotton growing is around nutrition. So that's, definitely an area where we're sort of working to try and make that more efficient and effective Um, and they're two different things so I guess the biggest difference is the understanding about nutrient cycling and pools of nutrients and you know most of the soil tests we commonly do with phosphorus for example we're, we're mainly only looking at a couple of the soluble pools of pea 
and yet we, we like to look at the total amount of phosphorus in the soil and and how we can access it. And usually accessing that is is via the the desired soil biology. That's where that's where the whole biology comes in. I know you're opening a Pandora's box talking about soil biology and I don't even understand what they what they all are or what functions they have, but I do know that until unless we encourage those biological and those natural soil functions, we're never going to access a lot of those pools of nutrient that are already in the soil. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think a big thing around nutrition, especially, you know, what we've seen in the past couple of years with it being so wet in the cotton industry is is disease, mate. We've, um, I don't know if you've ever come across verticillium wilt in any of the work you've done. You probably have, mate, but it's, yeah, becoming rampant across some of the cotton growing valleys and, We've done a lot of work at CSD around nutrition and found that, you know, excessive nitrogen application can increase the severity of vert. And, you know, there is a lot of work being done at the moment. We've got a, a research initiative called the Richard Williams Research Initiative that's focusing on vert. And one of the big things is all around understanding what goes on in the soil a little bit more and improving the soil health to combat the disease rather than you know, relying on a on a silver bullet that's going to come from an like a chemical or or something like that. So, I think that's a massive one, mate. In which that path of sustainability in your soils will have a big effect in the coming years. It's it's definitely not something that won't happen overnight. Um, like anything, and like you said, you know, we might have to take a step, two steps backwards um, before we take a couple of steps forward. I know a lot of people might not like that situation, but I think that's just the reality of it. You know, we're, we're never going to be able to produce a a silver bullet for, for anything in the cotton industry and implement it, you know, countrywide to improve everyone's, you know, sustainability and, and bottom-end gross margin. That's for sure. I think uh, the, the disease one is a... <clears throat> I wish I knew the source to I could acknowledge it, but the something I read the other day which really made sense to me is that a lot of the diseases we see in crops uh, these days, it's it's not the presence of a of a pathogen that creates the issue. It's the absence of the other biology that suppresses those pathogens. So there's obviously some sort of balance thing going on there, and and when the system's out of whack, um, it allows the pathogens, the ones we don't want, to to get going. Um, there's also as a pretty strong Seems to be a pretty strong correlation um, with some of the plant nutrition, or um, and what impact that has on uh, insect and disease susceptibility. Yeah, um, yep. Be great to have someone do a bit of research or a bit more work on that. But uh, yeah, there does seem uh, if we're doing some plant testing, we'll often measure the uh, the bricks or the level of sugars in the plant, and we also measure the the pH of the sap. Yep, and that'll often give us a bit of an indication if the, if it's, you know, like blood and spit and lots of things that should be around about 6.4 is about our neutral level. And anything below that is anything more acidic than that is usually an indication of an absence of cations and it's predisposed to disease. Yep. So that's just another way. Uh, and, and you'll see it in, in plants as well. Like um, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium are very mobile in the plant when most of the rest of the nutrients aren't. So if a plant's growing pretty well, it's not moisture stressed and you've got lower leaves, which are yellowing, it's often the plant not getting enough um, of, 
sometimes it's nitrogen, sometimes it's phosphorus, but it's often potassium. Um, so it'll shift it from those bottom leaves to the new new growth at the top. Yeah. And that'll leave the bottom leaves yellow, and that's often where some of the disease starts. Anyway, I've gone off on a tangent, but no, no, yeah, no, there's some of the right. things that we, we look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, you know, mentioning stuff like that, like pH in, in the cyst, in the plant's tissue, it's oh, it's a funny one. It sort of relates a bit back to the to how people analyse the human body, but I think that's the direction it's heading. It, you know, we're not just looking at the the target at the end of the end of the growing season at yield, you know, we've got to take a few steps back and start looking at how that plant's performing and, and how it is at, at different stages of its growth cycle. A bit, a bit like, you know, if you feel crook, you go to the doctor and he'll tell you what's wrong. I guess another thing we can sort of touch on is is something that the newels are doing and bringing a, you know, they're not just focused on, on cotton. They've got some cattle as, there as well. So they're implementing, I guess, bringing in some alternate industries to improve their the sustainability of their cotton crop and, and I guess, making cover crops not just a, a bio cover crop but a profitable um, fodder source for their livestock. Is that something that they, they wanted to do or is that something that you sort of helped them develop? Oh, it was a bit of a bit of both. Like I think when we're talking about the big levers and the importance of, well, certainly in dry land, you know, capturing rainfall and water use efficiency and nutrient cycling and soil organic matter. One of the other big levers we have is diversity, and it's diversity of plants, diversity of uh, soil biology, and lots of other levels as well. But if you think about it, if if all you grow is cotton, 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 or cotton wheat cotton wheat or whatever it is it's pretty limited in you know you, you when you add diversity you seem to get access to more nutrients more unlock those tied up pools of nutrients and well if one of our jobs is to turn around this continual decline in organic matter and we don't hear much of that you know i've i've, I've been taking soil tests for 30 years probably longer if i was sat down and did the maths um and our soil carbon levels continue to decline under what is industry best management practices. And I'll probably get in a few arguments saying that, but that's that's what I'm seeing. You know, yep. I, I get excited now if I see a soil test above 1% soil carbon. Yeah. That's yep. that's that's terrible. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of the nitrogen to grow a crop does not come from, like if you, there's plenty of really good research being done on, uh, nitrogen fertilizer recovery. So I don't know the exact numbers, but around about a third of the nitrogen you put on this year makes it into the cotton crop you harvest. That's pretty inefficient. Yeah. There still as a lot of lot of nitrogen that the crop needs comes from mineralization of organic matter and our organic matter levels are so low that that, that quantity of nitrogen that's mineralized is is limiting yield. And it gets to a point where it doesn't matter how much nitrogen fertilizer you put on you can't get any more nitrogen into the plant and we just create all these imbalances yeah and cost ourselves a fortune yeah that's one big thing that's becoming you know fairly heavily looked at especially the past couple of seasons is people are starting to realize with the price hikes in nitrogen how efficient inefficient it really is especially in irrigated cotton you know when we're irrigating and there's yeah three or four different nitrogen loss pathways and you know we from what we're doing, we're definitely not doing much to prevent those those losses. I guess we're looking at 
We're not looking at nitrogen losses. We're more focused on, you know, getting an irrigation on on time, you know, getting it through as fast as we can and getting the water off and not not seeing, looking at the other things that are happening while we're doing that. But what I was going to talk about, I've remembered it now, mate, is it's, you know, we don't make any profit in the cotton industry, but it's of this topic in the cotton industry, but it seems to to come around again and again and can have have a negative impact on it is is our social license, mate. So, you know, the way others perceive the cotton industry and I see regenerative agriculture, well, not regenerative agriculture, but I guess the implementation of sustainable farming practices and utilising what we already have in the soil and, and improving our crops that way as a, as a you know, pretty major player in improving our social licence across um, across the country and, and across the world. And, you know, we're doing a lot of things already, like trying to reduce our, our water use and in water use efficiency. And I see these sustainable practices being a major player in that space for sure. Oh, definitely. The Yeah, the whole social licence thing's a, uh, I mean, it's real, isn't it? Like um, we used to kind of ignore it, hope it would go away, but... Um... Yeah, we've we've got to be seen to be undertaking practices that agree with what consumers want, and part of that, I guess, is education, making yep, sure, sure that we explain the things that um, maybe some confusion or misunderstanding about. But part of it is undertaking things that are making us more sustainable and yeah, allowing us to be farming into the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's another one of the reasons why I started this podcast is we are doing so many things, but. A lot of them aren't being brought it, brought to the public, you know. I'm lucky, lucky enough to be in a position where I do hear about a lot of the research that goes on from different from different um, stakeholders within the industry, but a lot of it doesn't get pushed to the public. And in my opinion, um, I've worked in a few industries across, you know, sheep, cattle, cropping. Um, the cotton industry is one of the most progressive and, and innovative industries in this space of pushing for more sustainable practices and, you know, becoming more efficient in what we do. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's an, I was involved in the industry and it's heyday back in the you know, late eighties and nineties. And um, it was a fantastic place to, to uh, start your career. And, you know, everyone was so progressive and adopting new technology and yeah, and I think they continue to lead the way in the research and, but, you, but you're right though. Sometimes it's, it's the getting that information out that's the hard bit, and uh, there's so much information out there. It's really easy to to get confused, and, and you start even if you start talking about the algorithms or whatever it is that social media use to keep feeding back to you what you're searching for. You can get yourself in a place where you, you're only seeing things that you want to see. Yeah, yeah. So I love what you're doing and giving people the option and something a little bit different something easy to use to listen while you're on the tractor or driving around just to give you a bit more experience or to expose you to some things you're maybe not thinking about, um, especially some of the stuff we're talking about that is maybe a little bit left of centre. Yeah, but it's certainly worth taking, uh, you know, trying to learn what you can from other people and other industries and uh, see what you can apply to your own situation. 100%, mate, I agree with you. The only way to move forward is to learn off others without a doubt. But, mate, I think that's given everyone sort of a brief overview of, of some of the sustainability practices that you're helping growers, like you said, implement into the industry. But this may not be our last episode on, on sustainability in, in 
the cotton industry, that's for sure. But, mate, we like to keep these short and not too long. So thank you for giving us some of your time, Ian. Uh, much appreciated, mate. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks for making the effort to uh, to to get this information uh, out to people and what you're doing. It's, uh, it's appreciated. No worries. And, and growers, if they do have any questions, mate, are they able to contact you? Most certainly. Just look up Farm Agronomy on Google and uh, you'll find us. And, uh, yeah, happy to help where we can. Right on, mate. No worries. Thank you. Easy. What a cracking episode that was. Ian's story about, you know, what he's doing, helping cotton farmers introduce these sustainable practices into their production system is extremely interesting and insightful. I really think it's it's what lies in the future for the Australian cotton industry. You know, we're not, like we said in that podcast, there's not going to be sort of one program fits all for farmers, but I think we're all going to have to sort of take that take that jump and introduce some sustainability across our whole farming system and, yeah, in particularly growing our cotton. But a big thank you to Ian for joining me in that episode. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you found that interesting. Um, make sure you get in contact with me. Uh, the email's in the show notes if you want to hear of any different topics. But that's it from me, ladies and gentlemen. I'll catch you next time.